week after week, month after month, year after year, the pandemic raged on. And just when you thought it was almost over, there were more cases. But there was no cure, there was no vaccines, not a whole lot of hope for people. The racial divisions were palpable. The majority that were in power and made decisions that were against some of the people. They called their fair elections, but the people didn't have much of a choice. And still, in the midst of all of this, the church rose together to unite people and respect a government that was making laws sometimes against them. There were shortages in the grocery stores. The poor were getting poorer. There was no middle ground, no compromise, so much hopelessness and pessimism and cynicism. And still, in the midst of this, the church rose together to feed the people and share the hope and message of Christ to all who would listen. People criticized their leaders daily, made fun of every comment, every decision they made. They were violently against the increase of taxes and laws that were restricting their movements and their choices. And still, the church rose together to bind up people's emotional wounds and build bridges of peace. There were muggings in the streets and beatings. People were just walking down the roads, clutching their purses and backpacks in fear. One particular hate group resorted to stabbing the police and authority figures in the streets at night. And still, the church rose together to heal people's physical wounds. The pandemic raged on with no hope for a cure. Everybody was suspicious of everyone else. Some never even left their homes. They were so scared of being infected by this virus or being mugged or even stabbed or killed for their beliefs or the color of their skin. The pandemic wasn't the root of these problems, but it did make the situation worse. Those infected were told to isolate and then quarantine. And then when things got really bad, they could no longer mix with the rest of society. They were given special accommodations to live out their last days. And those special accommodations didn't allow for relatives to visit or see them. What I just shared is not the story of what we've been experiencing for the past two years. Some of it is. It's actually the time and climate in which Jesus was born and lived and ministered in, in the first century. The pandemic back then, the disease was leprosy. It infected thousands of people. There was no cure. There was no hope for people who got leprosy. We hear about the lepers in, in the story of the Bible, we see him in, in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, where the lepers come to Jesus. He sends them to go meet with the Pharisees, and on the road to meet the Pharisees, they are healed. The zealots were the violent group. They were the ones who were known to stab Roman guards at night or in large crowds. Simon, one of the followers of Jesus, was actually called Simon the Zealot. So we know he was part of this gang of people, the thugs who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. The Jews and the Romans were in deep hatred of each other. And when the Christians came along, they hated that group even more together. But still, it was this early church that rose together to take care of the least of these. You see, the greatest apologetic the church has to an unbelieving world is love. It's the greatest tool that we have to demonstrate God's grace and love and peace 
forgiveness and redemption is to share his love with others who are in need, others who are broken, others who are lost. And how we unconditionally love others opens their hearts to hear and receive the greatest message, the greatest news mankind has ever heard, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that he came to die for people's sins on the cross, to forgive them of their sins and set them on the path towards righteousness. There's a famous saying many of you know already, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. It's important that the world sees that we care first. We don't just parade around screaming in the street corners, yelling at people what we believe. We take care of their needs. We feed them. We bind their wounds. We try to build bridges of peace with them. The early church did just that. They cared about the lost, the hurting, the broken, the marginalized. The lepers, they would quarantine in, in these pits. They would separate them from society when their families all got infected. They would take them out of the cities and put them in these either dug or uh, uh, natural pits. And when people would remember them, they would take buckets of water and food and lower it to them. They were just expected to die. Nobody was supposed to have encounters with them. Nobody could touch them. No one wanted to touch them except for one group. And we know this because it was the Christians who went down with those buckets, asking the guards to lower them into the pits to take care of the least of these. They gave their lives. The early church risked their lives, their reputations, their jobs. And even now as a church, we can do the same. We can be a light, a source of hope for those who are marginalized, who are the outcasts in our society as well. Those who might be infected by whatever disease they have. I want to take a little moment to honor some of you who've kind of gone down into the pits with some of those who've been sicker in our society. The last couple years, we honored you in the beginning of this pandemic, but it's been a while now since we've honored you guys. Some of you who have risked a little bit more than those of us who were able to work from home. The first responders, the firefighters, the police, the nurses, doctors, dentists, clinic workers, drivers, delivery workers restaurant workers, service-oriented jobs that put you in front of people daily. You didn't have the option of a work-from-home situation or stay isolated from others in the midst of the pandemic and its variants. If that's you, whether you're watching at home right now or here, I would like you to stand up for a sec. If you're one of those service-oriented jobs, medical, police, fire, would you stand real quick? Yes, please stand and let's give them a hand. Don't be shy, please, we know you're here. Thank you guys, thank you for letting us be part of that missional church through you as well. You've risked a little more than we have who had those options of staying home. Some of your family members got sick. Some of you got sick as a result of your jobs. We know that. Some of you lost a relative or a family member that was close to you. We know that. You're doing what the early church did 2,000 years ago, risking their lives to go into these pits to take care of the people whom society not only forgot, but wanted just to die and go away. But as a church, we don't want to see that happen. We can be that same missional church birthed through the pain of persecution, birthed through a pandemic time to shine Christ's love and message to an unbelieving world. This book that we have for you guys today, and those of you guys who are online can see the digital copy before you come to church and get your physical copy, is a reflection of the love and the care and the giving of this church 
to so many of our missionaries, 28 local, uh, global, 12 global, and local as well, that they're the ones who are taking the message of Christ to our community outside of our walls that we partner with and so thankful to do with them. Over $1.75 million was given just this past fiscal year. And the year before that, even more in the first year of the pandemic to give and share Christ's love and goodness with the hurting and the unbelievers outside of our walls. Many of you guys helped with this book. If you gave a dollar to Loud Fund, if you gave to the General Fund, a portion of that was used for this. If you gave to Advent Conspiracy or Giving Good This Fall, your monies went to support water wells, 60 water wells in communities that did not have fresh water. Could you imagine that? Living in a place where the water you drink could literally kill you. And you guys have gone to 60 different villages this past year to give them water. 30,000 people today, just because of this last fiscal year, have fresh water today because of your giving. You participated and are a part of this with us. And many people who are listed in the back of the book, the elders, the go board, those on our staff who helped to curate these stories, our missionaries who sent these stories into us, uh, the editors, thank you for making this happen. We're privileged to have a little bit bigger book this year to celebrate a little bit wider and give you guys a chance to get to know our missionaries a little bit better about what they do. We believe the world can reject the Bible. We know that they do. They can say it's all lies and throw it away. They can reject us as pastors, me, and the preachers and say, they're liars. I don't want to believe what they do. It's truth. They can reject you as believers, as Christians. But one of the things they cannot reject is our love. How we love others, it's impossible to reject. How we share and care genuinely, selflessly, the world, the non-believers can't reject. We see this message from Jesus of how we should serve in a beautiful story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We see him kneeling down towards the end of his life, gathered in the upper room with the disciples. After they share a meal, he grabs a towel and a bucket and begins to wash his disciples' feet, and they are shocked because the feet are the dirtiest part of the body back then. They walked in sandals. Their feet were dirty and muddy and grimy. Even today in the Middle East, the feet or the shoes is the worst part. So you see people throwing shoes at each other. That's, that's a, a disrespect. But Jesus begins to wash, and uh, Peter says, no, I don't want you to wash my feet. I, I will wash your feet. And Jesus says, you will have no part of me unless I wash your feet. And after he washes every disciple's feet, including the one who will betray him, he tells them, go and do the same for others. He sets the example of what it means to serve. It's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be glorious or shiny. Sometimes it's the dirty work you Christians have to do to share God's love, his love with others. He demonstrated that for us. And then he shared these verses in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where we get one of our loves. A new command I give you, the church, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. What a powerful command. Somehow the way we as believers love other believers will demonstrate God's goodness and love to the unbelievers. They will see God through how we care and love 
one another. You know our three loves at Westgate? Love God, love your neighbor, and love one another. This is the love one another portion that we get it from. Commanding us to love one another. The con- conversely, it's, it's also true. If we're backbiting and hating and writing all manners of evil against one another, whether digitally or physically or verbally, we demean what Christ has done if we don't share God's goodness and love with the believers through our small groups, through the ways we gather together, even here today. So who are these one another's? First, it's the body of Christ. He gives us a new command. We had a previous command, and we'll talk about that in a sec, but this new command is to make sure you love each other genuinely. Love your family members, love your spouses, love your children. By seeing that love genuinely, the world will say, wow, these guys have a smile on their face. Wow, in the midst of a pandemic when everyone's angry and distrustful, these guys actually smile and sing and celebrate and post positive things on their Facebook accounts and Twitter and whatever else you guys use, right? We share goodness through social media. Next, we see the greatest commandments that he left for us. These are the other commandments he was referring to. Our fellow neighbors who are in spiritual or physical need, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. The commands to love God and love the world who doesn't know Jesus. Make sure that you don't forget about the others outside of our church walls as well. And lastly, the unbelieving and hurting world. That's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. A reminder that there's a world that we must go out, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world are referred to, that we must go outside of our concentric circles where we live and and share God's goodness and love. And this book celebrates some of that, some of the places that you guys have invested in. Whether you knew it or not, your monies were going to invest in these places that you'll read about in the weeks to come. An unbelieving world won't embrace the gospel of God until they see the goodness of God. They see God as good. It changes who they are. Many people think God is angry at them or hateful for how they live or what they do. No, God is a God of love. He is, it's actually in the scriptures, God is love. That's one of his characters of who he is. But people don't always see the goodness because they may see some Christians who are haters and they're not reflecting Christ's love to one another or the body of Christ or to the world because all they spew is negativity. The world needs to see that there's goodness before they want to accept it. Why would they want to follow an angry and bitter or jealous God? They need to know that God loves them, is for them, has created them, and is their father just the way he is a father to you, that he's adopted all of you into his family as well. Jesus showed us this path where justice and mercy collide together in his gospel message. The justice of God, yet with his mercy and work on the cross to forgive our sins, collided together in the person of Christ. He demonstrated sacrifice physically by cleaning the feet and physically on the cross to show how much he loves us. The world needs to know of a God who is so good, he would do that for us. What I like to do every year through Compassion Immersion is take you on a little bit of a spiritual journey around the world. Some of the people that I'm privileged to be able to encounter and meet and Zoom and WhatsApp with all year long. You guys celebrate and, and support so many wonderful missionaries that I hope you'll engage with online uh, through the PDF version or this physical book as well. Just some of the stories that I'll share today, many, many more, dozens more that you'll read about. I'll begin first by taking you over to Africa, Niger. 
one of the hottest and most dangerous countries in the world to be a Christian, over 97% Muslim country, has had the hottest temperatures in history consistently. Eileen was a local. She served right here in our midst in, in the Bay Area. She was a teacher at King's Academy. Some of you guys may have even had her as a teacher, or your kids did. She was a part of a missions conference similar to this that we're doing today in the next three weeks. She was so inspired by what she heard. She says, I want to do something different with my life. God, send me. Here I am. Send me type message. She had no idea where God would take her. She called the missions organization and said, hey, I'm available. I teach. I know this. I know that. What do you, what, where can you send me? They said, nobody really wants to go to Niger. Do you want to go? She said, sure. Where's Niger, right? She just said, I'll go. <laughs> In Niger, they speak French. She didn't speak French. She had to learn a whole new language. She began serving, and she saw how the girls and the women were treated in that society, in this Muslim culture. Between the ages of 11, 12, and 15, most of the girls are married off to men who have multiple wives, to be abused for the rest of their lives. She saw this, and she was so heartbroken. She said, I want to start an orphanage. I want to start a school for these girls, not an orphanage. I want to take care of them. So she went door to door in the beginning, knocking and saying, would you allow your girls to come to our school to get an education? And I promise you, they'll go through high school. We'll feed them. We'll clothe them. We'll house them. They can come home for vacations. And then they'll go to college, and they'll get a job. They'll support you much more than the small dowry you'll get for selling your daughter to these men. And they did. One by one in the beginning. And now she has a list of girls, a long, long list she doesn't have room for. But she has room for 70 of them because of you. We helped her build a wall around her school to protect them. The buildings, the dormitories, the supplies for the school, you guys helped with a generous gift to build that several years ago. Every one of her graduates last year through this school, every one of them in a country that doesn't educate girls past the age of 10 or 11, every one of her girls who graduated passed the entrance exams to college. It was a huge accomplishment. It was a huge accomplishment. And every one of those girls she is helping support to get a college education, which is unheard of in her country. The church is rising together to reach the vulnerable, the exploited, and the abused because of your gifts. Let's head over to Afghanistan and Iraq, Syria, countries that you've heard of so much turmoil because of the Taliban and ISIS and just the extremist Muslim groups that have been attacking everyone, even their own. What you didn't know, maybe, was that we had eight different people in the country at the time of the Taliban takeover. We saw this coming, and we began to speak to our missionaries and say, maybe you guys should get out earlier. And they got plane tickets to leave in July and August. The five who got plane tickets in July got out safely. Their plane left. There was three who were remaining. Their planes were canceled because of the Taliban's fast entrance into the capital. One of the five who had left felt so guilty that he was in safety he called us and said, I'm going back. We said, no, he said, I'm going back. I cannot leave my teammates. He goes back into the country to serve and give, going back into the zones of the Taliban. They tried many times to go to the border to fly out. They were beaten, slapped by the Taliban. Some, several times they got through. Three times they got through to the soldiers, and they were not allowed through because of this or that, even though they had letters from U.S. senators and leaders here in America supporting them and letting them know that they're safe people. Unfortunately, they couldn't get through the barrier. One of them finally did. 
the day of the bomb blast. She was 20 feet away from the gentleman who blew himself up and killed the soldiers. She survived because one of those American soldiers stood between her and the blast. She lost everything, her backpack, clothes, shoes. She was just out there, passed out because of the concussion. She actually had gone through the line to be led into the airport. But because of that, they shut it down. She was stuck for the next three months. Luckily, she was able to get her passport. But during these three months, these pictures that I'm showing you are who they served. They didn't just go hide in a house. They raised money, and we sent money as Westgate. And we gave them tools to go buy food and, 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 and wood and cooking oil and heating oil and blankets because it gets cold there in the wintertime. And they went door to door giving bags and bags of food to sustain them for a month or two. They began to serve and even share their faith, even knowing that they could well die. They did so over the last few months. The good report I can share is that they were able to get out finally. By mid-December, they finally were able to get on planes to leave and go back to their countries. The church rose to rescue some and to serve those families who were left behind. Let's move over to India, a few countries away. Over $100,000 was given just to COVID-related projects over the last fiscal year in four different regions of India to help touch the lives of those who were infected, those who needed food, those who needed medicine, vaccines, hygiene training, as you see here, and importantly, sharing Christ's love. In a country that rejects Christians, a president who's denied Christians' rights and actively working to thwart Christian efforts and kick them out of the country, our nationals serve the poorest of the poor. They were able to witness through this time the gospel message of Jesus, giving people hope, not just medicine, but Jesus in incredible ways. The church rose together to meet the needs of the sick and the lost in India because of your gifts through these four different groups. Now let's move over to Indonesia and China, Laos, the Philippines, Southeast Asia and Asia, where we have so many of our missionaries clandestine missionaries who are working in secret many times. These families gave out and passed out food and medicine and also the gospel as well there to people who are hurting and lost. You see the pictures, the beautiful pictures and them going door to door saying, do you need anything? Can we feed you? Can we help you? We had shortages here, but could you imagine what it would be like in a third world country where it's difficult enough to put food on your table in a normal week when you normally work? Many places where what they make that day, they go to the markets and buy the food for that night. There are no savings accounts. There's not this expendable money or credit cards. If they don't work that day, they don't eat that night or the next day. So imagine a family that gets COVID or a family member who loses their breadwinner to COVID or some disease. How much harder that would be. That's where our missionaries go. They find these people and say, we'll help. We're here in the name of Jesus to help you. And you see again the gospel message through the acts of kindness and love spread through the lost world. The church is rising up to meet the needs of the poor everywhere. Let's fry to another continent now, Bolivia in South America. COVID severely hit and impacted one of our missionaries there over the last two years. Claudia, for over 25 years, since her college years, was inspired to work with street children. She met a street child one time going to school, going to her classes. This boy literally came out from underneath the statue, moved a rock, and climbed out of a statue, she told me. She was so shocked. She went up to him and said, why are you here? She says, I live in this statue. It's the warmest place I know that's safe. 
And she begins to hear the story and is so broken to realize that her and her privileged life in Bolivia, there was a whole segment of society that had nothing, these street kids. So she started an organization out of college to go at nights and they drive around and they go into uh, the parks and they go into the cemeteries where a lot of them hide next to the crypts because it's warmer there than other places, safer, sometimes in the trees because of the wild dogs in their society that roam around. They find them in trees hiding, sometimes without blankets, and they go up to them and give them an opportunity to say, would you like food? Would you like a warm place to sleep tonight? Would you come with us? And these kids many times say yes. They find out their stories. Not only do they take them into their schools and orphanages, they adopt them legally through the government systems. Beautiful, beautiful organization taking care of the least of these in Bolivia. But sadly, in February of 2020, Claudia's husband, Richie, was at a conference in New York City for tech workers. You see, Richie was the biggest financial, individual financial supporter of her organization. They gave of their own funds. Claudia never got a dime and still to this day hasn't received a dime from her work over the last 25 years. She volunteers leading this orphanage. Her husband came home, was one of the first diagnosed cases of COVID in Bolivia. They didn't have ventilators, they didn't have medicine, they didn't have care. Even though they had the money to go to the best hospitals, they didn't even have a working ventilator in any of them in Bolivia. He died in the hallways of a hospital after seven days. She lost her husband, the biggest supporter of her work. But again, COVID hit their family last year, July of 2021. Her brother-in-law, her sister's husband, Mauricio, who also I've had a chance to meet with and break bread with and spend time with. Mauricio, who's actually a Bible smuggler into the Middle East. He's also a missionary himself, not only a pastor for Bolivia, but also has smuggled over seven times significant amounts of Bibles with teams into the Middle East during a time when they didn't have Bibles available. Crazy, crazy stories in his life as well. Mauricio got COVID, young man, three kids, three young kids under the age of seven. Sadly, he passed away too. There hadn't been vaccines there yet to help. You'd think after losing two of her family members and giving so much of her life to serve the least of these that she'd be broken and give up. She didn't. I talked to her. She says, I'm not giving up on these kids. I'm not giving up on the street kids. We'll take in more. Westgate, you guys gave $20,000 a month after her husband passed away. You don't know this, but we did to support the orphanage at a time when they didn't have some resources they needed. We've given consistent gifts to many of our missionaries, including Claudia and Alalai in Bolivia. Because of your generosity, we're able to bless them. Over $500,000 of COVID-related support just in the last fiscal year. In Bolivia, the church rose up to share the love and mercy of Jesus with the hurting children in the midst of her own pain. In Haiti, as we come closer to the U.S., they've gone through so much civil unrest, the assassination of their president, then a big earthquake in August, August 14th of this past year. In less than 36 hours, our missionaries serving in Haiti who have built a university that you guys help support. In 2012, we started a project to support a university project, which is a crazy idea one of our missionaries had. What if we created a university where we saw doctors and nurses and teachers and pastors and farmers raised up? And by faith, we started this school with them, alongside of them, building the dormitories, the first floor of their school, multiple dormitories since then. They have hundreds and hundreds of students. They've graduated now three sets of doctors for the country and nurses, medical workers, 
It takes just as long as them, almost seven years, to get their medical degrees too. How awesome is that, that they're on their third graduating class. The second graduating class you see here left a missions aviation organization, said, we'll fly you if you want to get supplies, whatever you have. They gathered every supply that they had on campus at the medical school. They flew there before the Red Cross, before the government agencies, before their own government military got there. They were there binding the wounds. These are the safer pictures I showed you. They were, the wounds were much, much more grotesque. They literally saved lives and preached Jesus to these people. Who knew something we would do back then would have fruit even now and continue to have fruit in the country that is so desperate, but yet there's people who are rising up to meet the needs. The church rose in Haiti to heal the broken. Now back here, I want to take you to the Bay Area where we have 12 of our missionaries and many, many even more partners that you'll see in our lobby and online and through our book that we'll get a chance to celebrate their work. They're championing the sanctity of life right here, the importance of adoption and fostering, working in our prisons, working with the physically or mentally disabled, our international college students, our uh, public schools right here that are serving in to share Christ's love and hope because there's so many lost right here. Jesus says, take care of Jerusalem. Don't forget about Jerusalem. Your call is first here and then out to the world. Many groups that are serving, City Team, Compassion Bridges, City Peace Project, others working here to feed, clothe, share God's love with the broken right here in the backyards. Some of us suffered a little, but there was a lot of places in San Jose, even East San Jose, as you guys know, where those suffered even more. Fifteen of you came out with me through my organization to go and serve at the uh, Union uh, Eastside San Jose High School District and the Alamoc School District. We've done over 15 feedings, and every time we feed, we give them books, spiritual books or, or letters of encouragement that has scripture in there, letting them know they're not forgotten, that there's churches and people who are praying for them. We give them gift cards to grocery stores and bags and bags of food because of your generosity, Westgate. And you came out there and got your hands a little dirty with us as well. We consistently do a monthly feed food pantry at our South Hills campus to serve just people in that area as well. We've been doing that for over 15 years, not just because of the pandemic. You have continually stepped up to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to a broken, poor, marginalized world right here in our own midst. There's a beautiful symbol of this. It's a church in San Diego, Christ the King Catholic Church. They have a statue of Jesus that around 1980, the arms, the hands of this statue were broken off. And they went to the pastor and they said, Pastor, we should fix this. This is wrong, what they did, but let's fix it. And the pastor thought, about a poem that he'd read. He said, no. And he said, let's put this plaque on the statue that still stands today if you go visit this church. And it says, I have no hands but yours. It's in reference to a beautiful poem by St. Teresa of Avila in the 1500s who said these words, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which to look out Christ's compassion to the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. And yours are the hands with which he is to bless all men now. What a beautiful poem and an example of who we as believers are supposed to be to an unbelieving and hurting world. That's us, that's you, that's me. That's our missionaries outside. 
That's our missionaries overseas who are being Christ's hands and feet to the world. The early church was just like that in the midst of their own pandemic and political and civil wars. The church rose up together to do the things that the Romans and the Jews weren't willing to do. The lowliest of things. They spent time with the prostitutes, the lepers, the tax collectors, the marginalized, the homeless. Jesus walked among them as an example to us of what we could be. The hands and feet of Jesus to the world. To be bearers of this good news, this gospel message that is now shared in love and through sacrifice and service. Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is a year, Westgate, that we wanna do even more good than the year before. Over the last two years, we've given more money outside of our walls than in any two-year history of our church, just so you know. We didn't give less, we gave more, you gave more. You guys have already heard, we've already donated 750,000 to water this year alone, almost doubling our biggest giving year of water already. Crazy, awesome, thank you. And loud, that's gonna support so many more projects and so many more needs, so many more families that are lost and hurting. You are giving when you give even a dollar to the general fund, a portion of it will go towards missions as well, but all of it through loud and Advent conspiracy, thank you for not growing weary in this season. Maybe you were distraught, maybe you went through depressions, maybe anxieties rose in you as it did in many of us. But now's not the time to hide in our homes. It's our time to go to the leper colonies. It's our time to go in the midst of the hurting here in the Bay Area and to support those who are doing it globally on our behalf. Thank you, Westgate, for your giving. Thank you for your prayers. Our missionaries feel those prayers. And as you read this book, pray for the individual missionaries. Engage with them one-on-one -on -one with an email, with an encouragement. Go and talk to them outside in the tables. They are blessed because of what you do and how you give and how you pray for them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing love for us, your grace and mercy poured into us that we have anything of good to give to others. God, some of us didn't suffer as much these past two years as some of our missionaries did. But thank you that these missionaries are examples to us of not giving up. Eileen is not giving up in rescuing girls in Niger. Claudia is not giving up to rescue these street kids in Bolivia. Haiti is not giving up in the midst of a civil war, God, to take care of the hurting and the broken in their midst. Our missionaries everywhere, even the hardest places, are continuing to share your love and grace and give your provision to them. Thank you for letting Westgate just be a small slice, a small piece of your kingdom puzzle to help our hurting world and to share your incredible news that you love them and you died for them and you rose again to give them new life too. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.